Thank you, Sarah. Beautiful music this morning. Please stand, if you would, and reach for your Bibles, and open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 25. Again, Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in front of you, and you can open that, known as the Pew Bible, on page 1126 is where this passage is found. And this morning, Pastor Chris, as Pastor Bruce had alluded to earlier, is preaching this morning, and his message is groaning, then glory. Why hang on to our future hope in Jesus when our present suffering is so painful? Well, follow along as we read this passage, and we get a chance to hear a wonderful message in the Lord's house this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 25. And if children then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of the body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Bow our heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Heavenly Father, Show us this morning through the scriptural passage, the reality of this hope that we have in you. Father, understanding that we will face sufferings, groanings in physical, mental, and emotional pains. May all of this this morning that we have hope in you be realized through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, if there are any here this morning that do not know you, Jesus, as your Savior, I pray you will soften their hearts. You will draw them to you. Be with Pastor Chris as he speaks this message. May he speak through your spirit, Father. Thank you for bringing both Pastor Bruce and Pastor Chris back with us from their vacation time. Praise you this morning in your house and this glorious day. How we thank you for all that you give us in your name. Amen. Well, aloha, my ohana. I heard that many, many times this week. It means welcome, I love you my family. It's good for us to be back as uh, Pastor Bruce and his family were shivering in the Rockies. We were uh, suffering for Jesus there in the Hawaiian Islands and uh, we're just really blessed to be chaperones for 70 members of the North Kansas City High School uh, band that Amber's a part of and to get to know some of her, her friends and, and parents there. And, but there's just something about 48 hours ago, applying sunblock and tanning lotion to uh, waking up to snow on the ground. That's just kind of ironic. 
there's just something about being in Hawaii. All week long, the standard joke was if somebody had a headache, they'd, we'd say, yeah, but you're in Hawaii with a headache, you know, and somebody say, oh, man, my feet are hurting. Yeah, but you're, you're in Hawaii with hurting feet, and, and oh, man, this cold is just driving me nuts. Yeah, but you're in Hawaii with this cold. So there's always bad news and good news, isn't there, in life, okay? So are you the kind of person that likes to hear good news first or bad news first? Share with your neighbor. Which do you like hearing first? Do you like hearing good news or do you like hearing bad news first? All right, how many of you want, like to hear your bad news first? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, put your hands down. How many of you like hearing good news first? All right, there, there's a few, a little bit. Research shows that those hearing good news and bad news prefer the bad news first. Let's get it over with. You know, 75% uh, prefer that. Those sharing good news and bad news prefer giving the good news first, because we like to delay. I, I've got bad news, and I don't want to have to tell you. Well, thinking about this passage that uh, we're looking at this morning, uh, last week you heard from our friend and, and former missionary Jim Smith. You, you heard a lot of good news last week. And the good news from Romans 8, 14 through 17 was this. We who are in Christ and have life in the Spirit are adopted by God as his children. Isn't that a blessing? Amen? And not only that, but we have a glorious inheritance awaiting us as heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. That is good news. But then there's bad news. And the bad news is found in verse 17. The bad news from last week is this. The only way to enjoy this glorious inheritance is by suffering. You see, we have a gospel of groaning, and glory. And we see it in verse 17. And here it is. Everyone who is in Christ, everyone who is in Christ is destined for groaning, then glory. Groaning and then glory. We see it in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, what follows in verses 18 through 25 that we're going to look at this, this week, and then on into verse 26 and on next week, is there's a lot of groaning in this chapter, but there's also a lot of glory. And pastor teacher John Stott, who's a great expositor of the Word of God, makes two critical observations connected to verse 17 that I want to share with you. It's not in your notes, but I want you to listen and I think we have to keep these observations in mind if we're going to make sense of what happens in verses 18 through 25. And here's his first observation. The suffering or the groaning and the glory described in verse 17 describes two entire time periods, two entire ages, not just occasional times of despair, discomfort, distress, or disappointment. In other words, when he says... We must suffer with him. That's a, the present age. Then we will be revealed in glory. That's the age to come. So he's talking about two entire ages. In other words, if you were going to describe life in Christ right now, you could write over it groaning. And then if you were to describe life 
in Christ in the age to come after he comes and resurrects and returns and raptures us, then we would describe it glory. And the reality is we don't often think of this life as an age of groaning, but it is. The contrast in verse 17 is between this age and the age to come. It's between the old creation that we're a part of now that groans and the new creation that's going to be clothed in glory. It's a contrast between the present that we live in and the future that we look forward to. It's a contrast between the already that we have in Christ with groaning and the not yet that we don't have in Christ just yet that will be glory. You could sum up these two ages as groaning and glory. So that's the first observation. We're looking at two ages. And see, we tend to forget that because we tend to think we get saved and we're going to heaven and our sins are forgiven and we just think life's now going to be glory, glory, glory. And then a little groaning and we kind of go, where'd that come from? And then we go, let's get back to the glory, glory, glory. And uh, no, 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 no groaning and more glory. And then we go to heaven and boy, we just get more glory. But in reality, what he's saying is this life that we're in now is groaning, groaning. Oh, a little glory. Oh, more groaning, groaning. I wish we had more glory. Groaning, groaning, and then glory. Do you understand the two perspectives? All right. Now, if you turn on TV evangelists or listen to prosperity gospel preachers, you'll get this all mixed up. Okay, so we live in a time of groaning, two ages groaning. And by the way, groaning is not griping. You know, some of you are excited. Oh, I live in an age of griping. You know, I'm good at that. I have gift. You know, I'm a, I have a gift, that, and I use it, griping. And, 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 and Pastor Chris is saying, we're, we're in an age of griping. Woo-hoo, let's, let's, let's gripe. No, griping and whining is what you do when you think this time should be an age of glory and suffering comes, and so we gripe and whine. Groaning is saying, I know suffering's going to come. I know that's what this life is about, and I groan for the life to come which will be filled with glory. So groaning is not whining or griping, so we don't get a pass on that. The second observation that John Stott makes is this, is that the groaning or the suffering and the glory that's in verse 17 are inseparable from one another, but groaning always comes before glory. So the idea is we cannot escape the suffering in verse 17. They were inseparable. Groaning and glory were inseparable in the life of Christ because the cross had to come before the crown. We're getting ready for Easter, and that's the reality. Amen? You must have Friday, Good Friday before Easter Sunday. It was inseparable in the life of Christ. Jesus said repeatedly to his disciples, I must suffer and sacrifice and die, then be raised. And he said it to his disciples, you too must deny yourself, take up your cross, groaning, and follow me into glory. They were inseparable in the life experience and teaching of Christ. They were inseparable in the experience and the teaching of Paul. Here's what Paul said to new believers in Acts 14, 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And here's how he encouraged them. 
Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that's encouraging. Hey, you just accepted Jesus. Great, get ready to groan. Because through much groaning, we enter into greater glory. It was inseparable in the experience and the teaching of Peter. Here's what 1 Peter 2.21 says. For you have been called for this purpose. What? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in. Excited. You know, your purpose-driven life. Suffering. Jesus suffered for you. You will now suffer as you walk in his steps. 1 Peter 4.13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. He's saying, look, to the degree that you're suffering and groaning is the degree that you're going to glory someday. These two are inseparable in the experience of Jesus, Peter, Paul, and the experience of all of God's children. Uh, John Stott had it right when he said, So the sufferings and the glory are married. They cannot be divorced. They are welded. They cannot be broken apart. No pain, no gain is true in training, and it's true in training as a disciple. The cross must come before the crown. So with those two observations in, in mind regarding verse 17, let's ask, a very practical question and a very personal question, and it's there in your notes. In our present groan, is our present groaning worth our future glory? Okay, if we're in the age of groaning, then is this groaning and this suffering, which basically you're telling me, Chris, I can't really avoid, and it's going to be a part of my life as long as I'm in this body, and until Jesus comes back, is it really worth it compared to the future glory? In other words, why hang on to my future hope in Christ when my present suffering is so great? That's not an abstract, idle question, is it? That's just a real-life, practical question. And God has led the Apostle Paul to write verses 18 through 25 to answer that very question. And can we all say, thank you, Jesus? It is a question that every Christ follower is forced to face and answer sooner or later, and it's always sooner than you're expected, and it's always more painful than you ever imagined. Is this worth it going through in order to hang on to my trust and my fellowship and my hope that is in Jesus? Paul's going to provide us with four reasons why you and I should hang on to our hope in the midst of disease, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of despair, in the midst of this body that is decaying in a week of with 70 high schoolers reminds me of my decaying body, hiking to the top of Diamond Head. And I, I have to say, I was in better shape than some of these kids, and they're in marching band. Amber, I don't know what you do at early practices, but they need to do more physical because they were huffing and puffing. But we decay. We, we, we face death. Paul provides us four reasons why we should hang on to our hope. So here's the first one. Our present groaning in Christ is nothing compared to our future glory. Our present groaning, our present suffering in Christ 
is nothing, nothing compared to our future glory. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, there you go, suffering present, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Suffering, present, future, glory. Now, when I say it's nothing compared to our future glory, I need to quickly say something here, and it's this. Our present suffering is something. Our present suffering is something. What do I mean by that? Paul is not denying the reality of suffering, the reality of pain, and the reality of groaning in our present suffering. He's not denying that pain and suffering is something. Suffering is real in this life, amen? It's real, and it's painful, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and Paul, more than most, knew what real suffering was. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 11. In fact, you can turn to it in your Bibles if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. This man who says our present suffering is nothing knew that it was something very real. Here's what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. I've been beaten so many times I can't even keep count. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Can you imagine being whipped on your back 39 times and then having it done four more times? Do you realize there were scars upon scars? And you know how tender scarred tissue is? And perhaps it hadn't even healed when the next one came. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now you're taking a stick and three times I was beaten. Once I was stoned. In fact, we know he was stoned, and he was so stoned. Now, i got to help, maybe help us out there with that. Stoning means rocks being thrown at you in order to kill you as judgment for your blasphemy. He was, he, he, he was they, they threw rocks at him. They threw rocks at him, and it says in the book of Acts, they drug him out to the outskirts of the city, and they left him for dead. In other words, this guy's dead. He is so broken. He is so bloodied that he's dead. And he gets up. And he gets up. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, hanging on to some piece of wood or bark. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, flooding, dangers from robbers, assault, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger, in thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of the concern for all the churches. See, Paul knew that suffering is something very real. And he understood that there is a suffering that is eternal, internal, 
internal, emotional, that is even harder than physical beating. In other words, what I see in that last verse of that passage is Paul would say, beat me with rods, stone me with rocks, whip me with lashes. But there's a pain and a suffering that's even greater, and it's emotional, mental, and relational that I bear. I know that suffering is something. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, but I'm not the Apostle Paul, someone who's constantly persecuted or preaching the gospel. What does this have to do with the kind of suffering that comes to me, like disease, or the kind of suffering that comes with daily getting older in a decaying body? Uh, do you mean all suffering or just the suffering of being persecuted like Paul? Well, what we're talking about is all pain, not just persecution. It's both pain and persecution. What I want you to realize is that suffering is real. It is something, and it includes any hardship that might destroy your faith or lead you away from God. It means disappointment. It means discouragement. It means despair. It means disease. It means the death of a loved one. Our present suffering is something, but our present suffering is nothing when compared with everything that we're going to have in Christ. Do you see the difference? Our present suffering is something. He's not denying that. And in fact, we have to embrace that. Listen, the last thing you can come to someone in suffering and say, oh, that's nothing, just think of heaven. No, you can't say that someone's suffering is nothing until you acknowledge with them that their suffering is something. And once you have acknowledged that, and once they know that you acknowledge that their pain is real and that it's something, then you can encourage them and say, it's nothing, though, compared to everything that you, can see, that you will have in glory with Jesus Christ. Do you see where I'm going with this? How should we view all the pain we must endure on our way to heaven? We should consider it as nothing compared to the glory we are promised in God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible, listen to this, we, we, we are way too earthly minded. We need to be more glory minded, more heavenly minded, and then we'll understand and put our suffering in perspective. Listen, the Bible says that what is waiting for us is so glorious that we can't even imagine it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Do you understand that what is waiting for us is more glorious than anything you've ever seen? And let me tell you, by God's grace, we saw some beautiful things. Saw some beautiful parts of God's creation. But do you understand the most beautiful thing you have ever seen? The most beautiful place on this planet is, cannot even compare. You have never seen what God has for us. 
Think of the most beautiful piece of music you ever heard, the most beautiful words you ever heard, the most, maybe it was the voice of your child when it was born. Think of the most beautiful thing your ears have heard, and your ears have not yet heard what is going to be for us in glory. Think of the greatest fiction book you've ever read, and the greatest fantasies you've ever imagined in your mind, and you haven't even imagined the glory that awaits us. And not only is it so glorious that you can't imagine it unless the Spirit of God revealed it to you through the Bible, but it's so gracious that it will take God all of eternity to even show us the greatness and the amazingness of His grace. It will take all of eternity. If you don't believe me, listen to Ephesians 2, 5-7. through 7. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, we get that. I've been, most of you, hopefully all of us, have accepted God's salvation by grace through faith. He's raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But then listen to verse 7. So that in the ages, not the age, the ages, there's more than one age, it ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, what's that mean? That means that it will take eternity upon eternity upon eternity for God to show us all the grace and kindness he has for us in Christ Jesus. What are we going to be doing in eternity? We're going to be busy people doing a lot of things, but one thing we're going to be doing for all of eternity is trying to grasp the glory of God's amazing grace. Now, what we need to do with this information is consider it and weigh it out. That's what he says. Consider this, that what we're going through right now, and I don't know what you're going through. You know it. You know it very well, but whatever it is, it's nothing compared to everything that we're going to receive. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is renewed day by day for the momentary short time Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So I'm going to help us out here. He's saying, look, you've got to weigh these things out. You've got to consider this. You've got to look at your present groaning, look at your future glory, and then you've got to weigh it out. So imagine with me a big scale. Okay, so you have a scale with the two little pans that you weigh things on. And I want you to take in this pan, in this pan, let me move it over here, let's do this one. In this pan, I want you to place in it a feather for every one of your sufferings and hardships. Okay, I want you to place a feather. For every disappointment, you place a feather. For every ache in your body, you place a feather. For every temptation and distressing uh, relationship you have, you place a feather, and you place feathers, and there's a lot of groaning, and there's a lot of suffering, and there's a lot of hurt in this room right now, and you place a feather for every one of those. But then in this pan, God takes his megaton dump truck full of grace and glory, and he dumps it in this, and boom! 
what we thought was so painful and so difficult and so impossible to make it through is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. Amen? That's what Paul wants us to believe with all our hearts. And you need to believe it in your heart and not just your head because when suffering comes, it will take deep, deep, heartfelt conviction and hope not to throw in the towel. You will be tempted to say, and we've all been there, and if you're not there yet, you will be, and that's why we need to warn new believers, hey, this isn't all fun and games here. This isn't all easy street now that you become a believer. Through many tribulations, we will enter into the kingdom of God. Get ready, but there's going to come a time, and many of you have come to this time, where you ask this question, if this kind of suffering is the payoff for following Jesus, I'm not sure I want to follow him anymore. If this kind of, if this kind of, of suffering, this kind of disease and death enters into my life or enters into the life of my children or my loved one, and, and, and God doesn't prevent this, then I'm not sure I want to believe or trust him anymore. Now, if that was not a real temptation, then Paul would not have written these verses. So please listen carefully. He is writing to help us not to throw away our hope in Christ when groaning of this present time becomes overwhelming. So listen carefully. If you have not suffered much, your time will come. Look to your neighbor and says, that's good news. Okay, glad I came this morning for that. God has inspired this section of Scripture so that we'll be ready and able to fight the good fight of faith and not be conquered by despair and unbelief when our time of suffering comes. So the first reason why our present groaning is worth it is because it's nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Here's the second reason. It's necessary. Our present groaning is necessary in God's plan for creation and our salvation. It's necessary. I know that's a hard word to write, and it's a hard principle to accept, but it's true. And in the next four verses, verses 19 through 22, Paul is going to reveal four facts about the groaning and the glory of God's creation to show us that what you're going through is a necessary part of what all of creation is going through to accomplish God's perfect plan. So let's look at four facts about the groaning and the glory of God's creation. The first fact is in verse 19. Fact number one is this. Creation's groaning is temporary. It's temporary as it eagerly waits for our future glory to be revealed. Creation's groaning is temporary. Let's look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, earnest or eager expectation, what does that mean? It's a powerful word picture. It describes a person leaning forward out of intense interest and desire for something they really want. So picture being when you were a kid, being like a kid on Christmas who cannot wait to open presents. That's eager expectation, right? When do we get to do it? When do we get? And then Christmas Eve, can we open one? Can we at least open one? Eager expectation. Think, Bill Bowman, of Apple fanatics lining up at the Apple store 
on the country club plaza like I know you wish you could be one and lining up for the latest Apple technology 24 hours in advance with eager expectations. Think of me waiting in line at Oklahoma Joe's. I cannot wait to get inside. I keep looking. How is, are we progressing? What are others eating? What ribs? Oh, how do the, the ribs look good today? I am on tiptoes. I cannot wait to get inside and eat of the burnt offerings. J.B. Phillips, J.B. Phillips in his, in his great paraphrase of the Bible said this about this verse. Here's how he paraphrased it. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. We should be living on tiptoes like the rest of creation, expecting the glory to come. So that's fact number one. Their groaning is temporary, and as creation groans, it waits on tiptoes, looking for the glory to come. Are you living on tiptoes in the midst of your suffering today? Fact number two, creation's groaning is from God due to our sins. Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The suffering and the groaning that's going on, God has allowed it. In fact, God has demanded it. He has decreed that we, as well as creation, should suffer for our sins. He's that holy. We're that sinful. All of creation is subjected to futility. Now, what does this mean? Futility refers to that disappointment of living in a world that's less than perfect. Do you all feel that? Okay, you know, don't look at your spouse, but, you know, looking, living in a world where people don't measure up. Living in a world where you know you're designed for more than what you're experiencing. It, it, it refers to this present world where nothing ever really reaches the potential and perfection. It, futility is buying a brand new car, and as soon as you drive off the lot, it is depreciated. That's futility, okay? That's frustration. And subjected to futility refers to being cursed by God to live in a world and an entire universe where everything always falls short of being worthy of the glory of God. That's what, we live in a world where everything falls short of being worthy of the glory of God. It means the entire universe is unable to reach its full potential and be what it's designed to be until God's people are finally and fully revealed in our glory. Listen, this world will never accomplish its full potential until we, the children of God, reach our full potential in the new creation. This means that whales and dolphins have not yet reached their full potential or accomplished their ultimate purpose on this planet. It means the Hawaiian Islands, as beautiful as they were this past week, are still not as beautiful as they will be when they are clothed with the glory of God in the new creation. It means that the most beautiful place on earth, whether it's the majesty of the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, or the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, or the Grand Canyon in Arizona has yet to be seen in all their glory until this whole creation is made new when we are made new. 
what was creation's original purpose? Its purpose was to glorify God. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I think creation still glorifies God. Because I'm, I'm telling you, when I saw what we saw, and when you see beautiful creation of God and the stars, the stars declare the glory of God. But you have to understand this, that creation was created to be cared for and cultivated to its full potential by kings and queens of God by princes and, and princesses made in the image of God who were to real, rule over creation under God and develop it to its full potential. What are we doing now? We're destroying it. We're exploiting it. You see, we as Christians should be the most involved in the environmental concerns of this planet because we are stewards of God's creation. But the point is this that until the children of God are revealed in all their glory, this creation will not be fulfilling its intended purpose. Now, when did God subject all of creation to futility? The answer is found back in Genesis. Since the fall, God has built futility into creation. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1:27, God creates man and woman in his image. And in verse 31, God looks over all that he's created and he says it is what? Good. Then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Eve reject God as their greatest wisdom, as their greatest beauty, as their greatest desire, as Sarah so pretty and eloquently sang about. They rejected him as the highest of all things. And they brought down God's curse, not only on themselves, but on their children's children, children, all the way down to you and I, and on all of creation. Here's what God said. Cursed is the ground because of you, says the Lord. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Then in Genesis 3.15, he holds out hope to Adam and Eve. And he says, this curse is not the last word for you or for creation. I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is the serpent, who deceived them, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Literally, you'll crush his head. He'll bite your heel. Speaking of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. But here in Romans 8, in Romans 8, 20 through 21, Paul has the same hope for creation. And he says this, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here's the big picture. God created the universe out of nothing. It was all very good the way he made it. It had no flaws, no suffering, no pain, no death, no evil, no evolutionary survival of the fittest. Then, as one pastor put it, Adam and Eve did something in their hearts that was so horrifyingly evil, so unspeakably wicked, that they preferred the fruit of a tree to fellowship with God. And God not only sentenced them to death, but also subjected the entire creation to what Paul calls futility and the bondage of corruption. In other words, where there was once no groaning, no pain, no suffering, no death, now everyone and everything is groaning. Every human being dies, 
and every human being suffers. Every non-human, every animal, every plant, every aspect that's alive on this earth suffers. Rivers overflow their banks suddenly and flood and sweep away villages. Avalanches bury skiers. Volcanoes destroy whole cities. Tsunamis sweep over the Philippines, killing 250,000 people in one night. AIDS and malaria and cancer and heart disease kill millions of people, old and young. Killer tornadoes take out cities like Joplin, Missouri. Droughts and famines bring millions to starvation. Freak accidents happen where lightning strikes golfers dead on the 18th hole. Graduating seniors die in deadly car crashes coming home from graduation. Babies are born with literally no faces and holes in their heart. As pastor teacher John Piper says, if we could see for one ten thousandth of one ten thousandth of the suffering of the world at any given moment, we would collapse under the horror of it all. Only God can endure that sight and carry on. You see, God put the natural world under a curse. And when we see these horrors, and we see what's called natural disasters, we need to understand that is God's judgment on a creation that rebelled because we rebelled. The creation didn't rebel, we rebelled. And the reality is this, the, 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 uh, the, the extent of the curse goes as far as the, the ruling of Adam. Adam was to have dominion over everything. When Adam fell, the reach of the curse went as far as the reach of his rule over everything. So that sounds bad, and it is. But there is some good news in fact number three. Let's look at fact number three in verse 21. Creation's groaning is done in hope. Yes, God cursed, and yes, God judged man and all of creation, but he did it in hope. Verse 21 because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The futility of creation, the disease, the disaster, the decay, the death, is temporary. A temporary curse that God put on creation, but there is great hope coming. One day, the natural world will be recreated. The Bible calls this the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter 3, 13. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then beautifully in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And then here's what happens when the new creation comes. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Groaning is gone. Glory is here. Groaning, then glory. Now, how widespread is the curse? How... How far will the transformation reach? Fact number four, creation's groaning is universal, but so is its joy. Creation's groaning is universal. Look at verse 22. For we know that, look at the word, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. There's, listen, 
There is not a square inch on this planet that's not under the curse of God because of our sin. Sin's curse, as I've said, reaches as far as man's rule, and man was to rule over all of creation under God. So listen to me. Young people, when you hear about scientists that see the decay of the universe and what they call the second law of thermodynamics, which accurately teaches that entropy, that the universe is decaying and running down, please understand that all they are studying is an echo of Adam's sin down through the ages. You see, science can study the mechanics of the universe, but it cannot explain the meaning of the universe. Nothing wrong. Every God-given person, every follower of Jesus ought to uphold science and study creation because it's God's creation and we can study the law of entropy and thermodynamics but understand that only the Bible and the God of the Bible can explain the meaning of it. Okay? So there is hope in creation's groaning. It's groaning like a woman in labor. Now, I know I'm on really, you know, scary ground here, thin ice. I'm no scientist, and yet I'm talking about the law of thermodynamics, and I'm about to uh, talk about birthing, and I have even less experience in that. But I have it on reliable testimony from my wife that it really hurts to give birth <laughs> to a child. Is that true, Gwen? And, and, and I didn't feel the pain, but my ears heard the groaning. And I heard the screaming. I'll never forget it. We called Ann. She was working here at the office, and I was telling her, yeah, we're still here, and she's hanging in there. And then finally I said, i got to hang up. I can't hear you anymore, Ann, because they're screaming in my ears. But I also remember the joy, the tears of joy to hold Amber in my arms for the very first time and give her back to God in prayer. And here's what Paul is saying. That the upheavals of creation, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the death, the decay, the, the suffering that, that, that we see all around us, they are like the labor pains of the last stages of pregnancy. And just like a woman in labor, the real and very painful groaning of creation is going to lead to the joy of the new creation. Every earthquake and every, every as these things get more frequent, because the Bible says they're going to get more frequent, the more we hear, the more we know we're getting closer to the birth of glory, to the birth of the new creation. Do not fear, beloved. Do not forsake our Lord. Do not lose your hope. It's the birth pains. And, when it, and then it's worth it, or at least I'm told that. So what's the big deal? You say, what, you know, all this creation, what's the big deal? Let me give you... Three reasons that I think this is a big deal. First of all, as humanity goes, so goes creation. See, we live in a world that, that thinks cre create, that we were made for creation, that somehow we need to take care of creation because creation is like a god. We have glorified and deified creation. But listen, creation, we weren't made for creation. Creation was made for us. Creation is to be our playground. It's to be our workshop. It's to, it's to be our, 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 our uh, place where plants are grown. I forget the name of it right now. Whatever that is. Uh, you know, the house, the glass house where plants are grown anyway. Okay, it's, it's supposed to be our greenhouse. Thank you. But listen to this. Listen to this. Just like when Adam sinned, and was cursed, so creation was cursed. 
when God's children are glorified, so creation is going to be glorified. Creation is groaning because we ought to be groaning. And when we're glorified, creation is going to be glorified. So that's, that's the first thing I want you to do. Secondly, as creation groans, so should we. We should not, as creation groans, so should we. We should not expect carefree, carefree living in a sin-cursed world. Listen, if all of creation is groaning and we're not, then something's wrong. Does that make sense? In other words, how in the world are we going to think we have carefree living when all of creation is groaning? We, it's okay that we're groaning. It's okay that we're suffering. Look around at the groaning of creation. We have not arrived at our final destination. Thirdly, as you groan, remember your suffering is a part of God's much bigger plan and purpose. I think this is so important. As you groan, remember your suffering is a part of God's much bigger plan and purpose. In other words, your suffering is not just about you. Let me say that again. Yours and mine's suffering is not just about us. The whole creation is suffering. And that should give us hope because it means that my suffering is a part of a bigger plan and a bigger purpose that encompasses a universe that is so big no one can measure it and yet God is bigger still and his plan is bigger still and so my little suffering that's so big to me is just a part of God's bigger purpose for the universe I can hang on one more day. Now, Point number three, our present groaning is not only nothing compared to future glory, not only necessary in God's plan, but it's not the last word about our eternal future. Your present suffering right now is not the last word. It's not the last word on our eternal future. Look at uh, verse 23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Like the rest of creation, we should be groaning. Like the rest of creation, we should be living on tiptoes, awaiting our future glory. Like the rest of creation, God's children are going to experience a radical transformation into a, from groaning to glory. But there's one, there's one aspect that no comparison can be made. Only the children of God have the first fruits of the Spirit. So let's look at it. How does the groaning of God's children differ from the groaning of God's, uh, God's creation? Well, it differs in this way. Number one, we groan for what we will be while creation groans for what it will see. We groan for what we will be. Creation groans for what it will see. In other words, we are the ones who are going to be clothed with the glory of God we are the ones who are going to experience the glory of God. We are the ones that are the center of God's plan. And creation can't wait to see it. Now, last week, Jim told us that we were adopted, and that's a past truth. But there's also a present, present, uh, future truth about adoption. While we are legally adopted by God, now we are not yet adopted in the sense of having a glorified, resurrected body. And so we groan. We groan for what we will be. And then secondly, we already possess the first fruits of that future glory, which is the Holy Spirit. 
We have the Holy Spirit. See, creation longs for what it, it will only see and what it cannot experience yet, but we have the first fruits of that glory. We can experience a little bit of heaven on earth now because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. A first fruit is the first piece. You, ever, you have a garden, you wait for that tomato plant to, to grow, and then you look for that bloom, and you see that first tomato, and it grows, and it gets larger, and it gets green, and then it gets red, and then it gets ripe, and you pick that first one. The first one's always the most special. Is that not right? And you pick that first one, and then you say, there's more to come. There's more to come. Well, the Holy Spirit is that first ripe tomato that God has given to you as a promise of more to come. It's like a down payment that guarantees. We groan because of what we already have, a Holy Spirit in a sin-stained world. And we groan because of what we don't yet have. We have the Holy Spirit, but we don't have a glorified body. We groan in hope because what we already have guarantees what we don't yet have. You see, we groan because we know there's more to come. And we just can't wait to get to it, even if it means going through suffering. And that brings me to the fourth reason that our present groaning will be worth it in light of our future glory. Our present groaning is nurturing our faith, hope, and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our present groaning is nurturing our faith, hope, and love. Look at verse 24. For we, when we were saved in this hope, for we were saved in this hope, this hope of future glory, but hope that is seen is not hope. It's not here yet. For why does one still hope for what he sees? He's saying, look, don't think it's arrived yet. This, this world isn't all there is. There's a world to come in the new creation. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. But look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly Wait for it on tiptoes with perseverance. We persevere through the groaning because we know the glory is just around the corner. Faith produces hope. Hope produces perseverance. And perseverance will not be disappointed in love. That's what Romans 5, 1 through 5 says. So why does God allow the groaning and then the glory? It's because suffering knocks out the props of self-reliance. If it wasn't for groaning and suffering, we'd fall so in love with this sin-sick world that we wouldn't long for the glories to come. But the afflictions, the difficulties, the troubles, the pain help us to remind us that there's a greater love, a greater hope that we put our faith in. And if you will keep that in, if you will take these four reasons and keep them in mind, then you will join the Apostle Paul and you will say, I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So let me give you three principles to apply. Here's three principles. Number one, by faith, reckon. By faith, consider, count, reckon that your present suffering cannot be compared. Right now, think about your present suffering, consider it a feather, and let the megaton dump truck of God's grace and glory balance that out. It's incomparable. You have to take it by faith. Secondly, with love, rely on the Spirit's powerful presence in your life. 
He's our promise, and he's our preview of coming attractions of future glory to come. Rely on the Spirit to get you through. We're going to learn a lot about the Spirit in Romans 8. Third, in hope, realize that the best is yet to come. In hope, realize that the best is yet to come when Jesus returns. Listen, beloved, our present groaning will be worth our future glory. It will lead to a Christ-exalting new creation filled with God's mind-blowing glory as revealed in us, to us, and all around us in the new creation. Let me end with an illustration by John Newton. John Newton wrote that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He was a former slave trader who was gloriously saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he put it this way. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage. Newton lived in time when there were no cars. His carriage should break down a mile before he got to this glorious inheritance in the big city, which obliged him to rock the rest of the way. What a fool we should think that man if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. And you see, that's a picture of us. In, in, in light of eternity, we have probably only a mile or less until glory comes. And yes, our body may be broken. And yes, life may have brought deep, deep disappointment. But if we would walk that last mile saying, my body is broken, my, my relationship is broken, my, my heart is broken, when in less than a mile, we're going to get the glorious inheritance that is mind-blowing and beyond human comprehension, we would be fools. So let's not do that. Let's keep our eyes on the prize, and let's realize groaning now and then glory to come. Amen? Okay, let's bow our heads, and as we do, I want you to, I want you to think about two things. As you bow your heads, I want you to think about two things. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come to him today because he understands your pain. He understands your suffering. He died on a cross and he cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He groaned, and yet he was without sin. And he groaned and he suffered for your sin so that you could come to him and be forgiven and receive his righteousness as a free gift. So if you're going through your suffering without Jesus, I invite you to come to him by faith placing your faith in Him and simply saying, Jesus, here I am, broken, suffering, alone, fearful, anxious, and worried, but I want to receive you because I know you suffered for me. I want to receive your perfection in this imperfect world. I want to receive your righteousness because I am sinful and broken. And Jesus will forgive you and give you this gift of the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to think that if you're, you've already received that gift, you're already one of God's children, then I want to encourage you this morning to recommit to persevering through your groaning. I want you to understand, as I've tried to show from God's Word, that it's going to be worth it. And so by faith, reckon His glory greater than your groaning. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Recommit to understanding that 
the best is yet to come. So as, as they play the music, you can come. You can come up here and pray. If you need to move your body to make a commitment, then move it and make it. If you need to do it there, that's fine. But receive Jesus and recommit to persevering and understanding, groaning now and then glory. Father, we pray that you'll do a work right now that only can be explained because you have done it in the hearts of us in this room right now.